Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Kokomo Friday, unless, of course, you have Luis Castillo on your fantasy team. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball Today, presented by Line and Kugels. More on their sweet variety of beverages later on in the podcast. Frank Stanfield joined by Scott White and Chris Towers. And you know, for travel day, we had a ridiculous amount of action. Actually, right before we started the podcast, Zach Plesak still had a no-hitter going. No-hitter no more. He just gave up a two-run home run. But yeah, Shout-out's gone, too. We will talk about Zach Plesak, the Baby Mariners debut, Week 8 sleepers, pitchers, hitters, two-star pitchers. We'll do it all today, but let's jump right into the action. Oh my good goodness gracious! All right, Chris, I'll let you take it away. You're oh my goodness gracious player from Thursday. Yeah, it's got to be Luis Castillo. He stunk. He gave up eight runs, uh, eight earned runs in three and two-thirds innings, ten hits allowed, two walks, two walks three strikeouts. Looks like it was nine hard hit balls on the day. It was terrible. But having said that, I think if your opinion changed at all about Luis Castillo because he had a bad start at Coors Field, you're probably overreacting. Like if you were out on him before, okay, you should continue to be out on him. If you were on the fence about him, I don't think this should change anything. But I am also the person who is not out on Luis Castillo. Your mileage may vary. All right, so quick analysis there from Luis Castillo. Uh And ultimately, I do agree. We didn't have high hopes for him in Coors Field, obviously, and we said that you shouldn't have started him in this spot anyway. But I will point out that he threw his changeup just 13% of the time in this start of 78 pitches, which was the lowest percentage of changeups he has ever used in a start in his major league career. So... Last time after the start, he said, oh, we're close to figuring it out. We've got, you know, we've, we know what we need to fix. Well, it sure seems like you need to fix the changeup. And so far, you, you haven't fixed the changeup. I don't know if it was a Coors Field thing. I saw the home run he gave up to Josh Fuentes. There was no movement on the changeup. It was straight. It looked like a batting practice fastball right down the middle. Boom, gone. I, I don't, I needed to, I wanted to see something at least, Chris, something underlying here that, Give us some semblance of hope. There was nothing. Anything for you, Scott? No, I, I, there was nothing positive to take out of this start. I agree that it's concerning that it appears from usage now. He's lost confidence in the changeup, and he's nothing without the changeup. That's, that's been the pitch that has made him everything he is. I don't think that's necessarily going to be a, a permanent situation for him. I that I can't predict. I can't predict when he's going when or if he's going to get the change up back. But it it could it could be something where he gets a feel for it, especially if he's saying they know what's going on. He gets the feel back and next week he's fine and he's fine for the rest of the season. Then again, it could be next year that he gets the feel back. You know, like it's it's there, there's no way of predicting that. Justin Verlander is, is you know, one of the all-time great pitchers. He had like a, a three-year stretch where he basically wasn't right, and then he got right again. And um, so it's just, it's, it, it could be a pitch tipping thing, you know. Like, I don't know. Well, you, I mean, you mentioned he didn't have much movement on that changeup you saw, but there, are, there are a lot of simple explanations that could explain what Luis Castillo what's wrong with him right now. It's just, 
he has to fix whatever it is because this isn't going to work. And there's no way you could sh- you can start him until you have evidence that he's fixed. I completely him. agree with that. As the like Luis Castillo defender, I agree with everything that you're saying. You know, my my point has always just been that the fact that he it's not like an injury. You know, his arm slot hasn't changed. It doesn't seem like there's like some dramatic underlying thing we can point to. It just seems like he needs to pitch better, which is an oversimplification. But given the available evidence, I think that's the best explanation. And so I just kind of assume he will start pitching better at some point. He's got so, 90 starts with a 362 ERA before this season and eight with a 771 ERA. You know? So the question, I guess, is the the distinction. And it's not even a distinction yet. I just think it's going to become a distinction soon between the between maybe where Frank and I are and where you are Mm -hmm. is how much time do you let him occupy a spot on your bench when he's unusable? I don't think we're to the point yet, but as I talked about after his last start, I at least thought about dropping him in in one of my shallower leagues where there's only five bench spots and there's always good players on the waiver wire. I I at least thought about it, decided not to. And obviously, I, I agree that, you know, Coors Field isn't the... A course field start isn't the one where you should take the next step and do that. But um, I, I think we're getting close to it. I'm, I'm thinking like end of May, I, I may have to think about moving on. And in those shallower leagues, if you're talking like a 15-team league where there's not much good on waivers ever, that's a different story. And I think in particular, what I want to see from him, what I need to see from him before the end of May to keep him on my fantasy team past that is I have to see the changeup in the slightest come back, see some confidence, some movement, be the pitch that it has been before. And we need swinging strikes. I mean, I agree with you, Chris, that if all the underlying numbers this year were what he was in those 90 starts before this year, then yes, I would not be concerned whatsoever. But his swinging strike rate is below 10%. Right. What I mean is like the like the pitch level stuff. Like his arm slot hasn't changed. His release point hasn't changed. His spin rate hasn't really changed. His velocity hasn't really changed. Like, all of those things that, you know, there's always different levels to components and, mm-hmm. you know, but what, what I mean is like the physical, like his physical pitching doesn't seem different. Obviously I'm not, you know, grinding tape and seeing whether there's some tell when he throws his change up versus his fastball that's causing him to struggle or whether his mechanics are off. I, I don't know about any of that. All I can say is from what I can tell, there doesn't appear to be anything physically wrong with Luis Castillo. That's what I mean, is that from a physical standpoint, he looks like the same guy. He just hasn't been getting the same results, which is concerning for sure, but it it would take me longer than May to drop him. And if you wanted to buy him before and you haven't done it yet, now is the time to do it. If you think he is going to come anywhere close to the pitcher he has been before, you should be sending out, you, you should have sent them out the trade offers while the start was going on. As soon as he left the yeah. game, you should have been sending trade offers out. So if you want to take the shot, go ahead and do it. Now is the time. His value, I don't think, will ever be lower than it is right now. Again, that is Luis Castillo. Let's talk about someone else who's trending in the opposite direction. My, oh my goodness gracious player from Thursday, Patrick Corbin up against the Phillies. We basically wrote this guy off completely. We should call him the Undertaker from now on, right? It's how many Undertaker gifts are there out there? <laughs> awesome ones, right? Where Patrick Corbin just back from the dead, man. Seven innings, one run, zero walks, nine strikeouts with 18 swinging strikes on 102 pitches. The four-seam fastball velocity in this start, 92.7 miles per hour, his highest in a start since September 28th of 2019. He threw his slider a ton, 50% of the time. That was his most usage on the slider since July 19th, 2019. So we're now going back to 2019, which is the last time Patrick Corbin was really a top 15, top 20 is starting pitcher. If you take away his first two starts, which were coming back right after he had COVID, he has a 3.00 ERA over his last five. So did we jump the gun too early? Is Patrick Corbin... Back-ish. I mean, he might be. This is his most encouraging start of the past two seasons. This is the kind of start you'd expect to see him have in 2019 or 2018. I I understand you pointing out he has a low ERA in his last five starts, but the previous four looked like he looked like he was achieving that fraudulently. Yeah, you're right. Um, There's this. It was too many walks. It was not enough strikeouts. So, yeah, 
And as high, you know, it's great. That the velocity was so high. I, I don't think it needs to be as high as it was today. The most encouraging thing is that he threw his slider 50% of the time and, and that it was worth throwing 50% of the time. It was responsible for 13 of the 18 whiffs. Dave Martinez said it was the best slider he's seen from Corbin all year. Um, Corbin, he's apparently been tweaking his mechanics throughout the season. He says he's, he's uh, more satisfied with the way he's us- using his, his legs. He's finishing on his delivery better. And um, he feels like he's getting back to his old self. And uh, I, I would say, at least for this one start, the numbers would suggest so too. I don't want to completely reverse course after one start, but you know it has to start somewhere. And this looks like the the, the start where it may have started. <laughs> Christy, to quote to quote uh, one of our great '90s philosophers, Zach De La Roca. It has to start somewhere. It has to start sometime. What better place than here? What better time than now? Chris, would you use this as an opportunity to sell high on Patrick Corbin after the start? Or do you think this is something he could actually build upon? I would be surprised if anybody was really willing to give up much for Patrick Corbin. Um, I still, like even after this start, I, I don't feel compelled to move him up. I think I had him around 55, maybe 60 at starting pitcher, which... Even that feels high. Um, so I I don't think anybody's going to give you much for him. If I could get Luis Castillo for him, I would love to do that. I doubt I could. I don't um, know, man. You <laughs> Luis Castillo of fantasy managers are freaking out. Scott, if you could do that, if you could turn Corbin into Castillo, would you do it? Yeah, I'd do it too. Okay. I, I probably will move Corbin up after this start, but I didn't have him as high as I probably had him between like 80 and 90. That's how much confidence I had lost in him. Yeah, I actually had him um, at 65. Yeah. Yeah. So I have uh, I have Castillo in my top 40 still, which to Chris probably sounds laughably low, but that's that's obviously still must roster and it's, it's higher than Corbin's going to be after just this one start. Though, you know, well, honestly... Actually, it, it's th- this is a good uh, a good parallel. I mean, how had Corbin's season gone up to this start? Like, it could turn around just as quickly for Castillo. And, and again, we don't know for sure that it's turned around for Corbin. But like, if 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 Castillo goes out next time and has a start where he gets thirteen whiffs on his changeup, we're probably all going to be, be feeling a lot better about Castillo at that point. And that's how quickly it can turn around. One hundred percent. Yeah. So uh, pay attention to Patrick Corbin. I'm not going to take anything away from him, but I did notice the past couple of days, it seems like a lot of starting pitcher velocities have been up. So continue to monitor that, but it was a fantastic start for Patrick Corbin. Scott, your oh my goodness gracious player from Thursday. All right, I'm going to go with somebody who's actually available here, widely available. I'm going to go with Richard Hill, Rich Hill, now of the Tampa Bay Rays, who just delivered his third start in four of at least six innings, which, remember, the, the first of those was a really good start. And I said, I just, I'm just not sure how many of these we're going to see from 41-year-old Rich Hill with the Rays. That was my take at the time. Three starts later, the fact he's done it twice more, um, I think it's time to change my stance there. And this one was especially good. He had nine strikeouts, three hits, no earned runs, 19 whiffs, which is, you know, even... Even at his best, Rich Hill succeeded in spite of a low swinging strike rate. So that's especially impressive for him. And, uh, you know, obviously the track record's really strong. The Rays have a good track record with pitching, handling pitching themselves. If, if they're going to treat him like a true starter, I think, you know, he's, he's still available in two-thirds of CBS Sports Leagues. So that needs to change. Yeah, even yeah. More, more than that, he's 22% rostered. Go ahead, Chris. Oh, more yeah, than and in, in this one, I mean, he had only thrown more than 88 pitches once in his first seven starts. He he went six innings in uh, his start before this one, but he only threw 79 pitches. This one, he threw 104 pitches. I don't know. Uh, you know, he did have a full week off, I guess, between that or six days off. So maybe that's part of it. But, you know, if they're going to stretch him out into even like 90 to 95 pitches every start, um you know that's you know that could be a big deal. I'm I would bet the under. You know I would expect he averages maybe five and a half innings per start, but 
That's still Definitely good a good enough. sign. That's still good enough. I, I was I was worried he'd be a three to four inning pitcher. You know, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to get any use out of that as we've seen with Shane McClanahan. Mm-hmm. And uh, Rich Hill, Scott, you kind of touched on this. You know what he's done recently, but the last four starts in particular, twenty one and two thirds, only eight hits allowed, eight walks during that span. Not great but 27 strikeouts over 21 and two-thirds. A, a, a bulk of those were in this start against the Yankees, but uh, yeah, Richel looks like he's turning it around. Is is he like a must-add starting pitcher, or how far are we going? What what should this roster rate look like by next week, Scott? I'm forgetting the name. Other than Logan Gilbert. Sorry about that. I was forgetting the name. Other than Logan Gilbert, I feel like Rich Hill is the only pickup of this entire week that I've been genuinely excited about. Now, Pitching being what it is, I'm not sure I can even move him into my top 70, so it's hard to call him must-add in that context, but I I should think his rostership would go over 60% after this start. Mm -hmm. Especially when his next start is at Baltimore, who you have as one of your sleeper starting pitchers. We'll have more on that a little bit later on, but uh, yeah, average hill, potentially even get him in your lineup. want to give an honorable mention to Austin Meadows. This is so weird. When, whenever we talk about a player in particular, it seems like the next day they go out and do something. So Chris and I, we were talking about Austin Meadows yesterday and, and how worried we were about him. And goes out three for five, two doubles, a home run, four RBI. One of the doubles came off of a lefty. So really nice game for Austin Meadows. And, and hopefully he can build off of that. Before we get to the news and notes, I did just want to get to uh, these baby Mariners debuts. Of course, Logan Gilbert and Jared Kelnick up against Zach Polisak, who had a no-hitter into the eighth inning. Uh, Gilbert, final line, four innings, five hits, four runs, zero walks, five strikeouts. He did allow two home runs, 10 swinging strikes on 71 pitches. Chris, what did you see from Logan Gilbert? I was surprised at how high the velocity was. He averaged 95, 94.7 with his fastball, uh, hit 97 early on. So that was a very good sign. Only through three pitches. We didn't see any of the changeup today. That's not that surprising. It's his first time uh, out there. But yeah, I think the velocity was was pretty impressive. He's a low spin rate uh, fastball guy, relatively speaking. 2,200-ish RPMs on a 95-mile-per-hour fastball. That's not great, but got four whiffs with it, five whiffs with the slider. Um, I'm excited to see what he does moving forward, even though this wasn't necessarily the best debut. You know, it's, it's there, there's definitely something here. There's definitely talent here, um, which, you know, I think we knew going in, but it's always nice to see that confirmed. Yeah. I thought the biggest issue, I like the breaking stuff. It looked really good in the debut. I thought the biggest issue, he left a lot of his fastballs just middle, middle, and they got crushed. He gave up some home yep. runs. I mean, against professional hitters, Fran Mil Reyes hit a homer off of him. Jose Ramirez tagged him for a home run mm-hmm. as well. Outside of that, I thought the breaking stuff looked pretty good. Yeah, 93 well, miles per hour average exit velocity allowed on the fastball. So, you know, that, that's definitely an issue. And that gets into kind of the control versus command thing where, you yeah. know, you can get too fine trying to avoid walks and yeah. or trying to pound the strike zone and end up getting hit pretty hard. Yeah, I don't even think... I don't even think we saw the real Logan Gilbert today because his biggest strength seemed to be the depth of his arsenal and depth and quality of the arsenal and 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 the control. Now, well, I mean, he didn't walk anybody, so that's good. But yeah, 61 fastballs um, from a guy who it's not even supposed to be his best pitch. Now, you mentioned it's, it's a low spin rate, um, but part of the scouting report on Logan Gilbert, he's six foot six and apparently has a big yeah. reach and that fastball looks even harder than it actually is. It can sneak up on hitters like that. Yeah. So I'm not saying it's a bad fastball, but I'm saying his ar- the rest of his arsenal is too good for him to be throwing 61% fastballs. So, you know, I think the results were good enough considering it's not, it's not like I'd be tempted to move on from him. Unlike, uh, unlike Daniel Lynch, <laughs> he gone. <laughs> just keeps getting crushed. Oh, poor Daniel Lynch. Yeah, uh, we can. You could drop him across the board, right, Scott? Daniel Lynch. Lynch. Yeah. 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 Don't drop Logan Gilbert. Keep Logan Gilbert no. on your team. Uh, Jared Kelnick leading off in his debut for the Mariners, 0 for 4 with a strikeout. He did have a batted ball just over 100 miles per hour, uh, but not much to show for it here in his first start. 
From the season opener to Thanksgiving clashes to rematches and rivalries, the NFL schedule is now set, and the Pick 6 podcast is your source for a comprehensive schedule breakdown. The team analyzes the biggest matchups of the year and gives you a head start on season-long and week one gambling. Download and follow the Pick 6 NFL podcast wherever you find this one. Some news and notes from Thursday. Glaber Torres has tested positive for COVID and will be out at least for the next 10 days, Miguel Andujar was recalled for the Yankees. Ronald Acuna left Thursday's game with a left ankle injury after hitting his 12th home run, of course, first pitch of the game. X-rays came back negative. Acuna seems like he's day-to-day. He's not He's not out no. of it yet, but uh, hopefully he's all right. This guy's getting x-rayed too much. I'm, I'm, I'm a little worried about his radiation intake. <laughs> I think he needs to cool it. When, when, whenever those, he feels I'm sure they've got those, those uh, big weighted... Fast things. I'm sure he's okay. <laughs> yeah, but not not the part that's getting X-rayed. <laughs> yeah, maybe uh, maybe that's why he's hitting the like the Hulk. You know, he's uh, he's uh, he's got all this radiation maybe. going on. Those are gamma rays, though. Which, yeah, it's a know, little, little bit different. even more intense. Christian Yelich will begin a rehab assignment with AAA Nashville on Friday, which I still think is way too soon. Uh, I guess we'll find out how his back responds to playing in minor league games. JT Real Muto was placed on the COVID IL due to an abundance of caution regarding what appears to be a non-COVID illness. Framber Valdez will throw a bullpen session Friday and head out on a minor league rehab assignment next week. We could see him before the end of May. Really good news there for Valdez. Some good news from Luis Severino, who threw live batting practice on Thursday. This was the first time he faced hitters since he underwent Tommy John surgery back in February of 2020. Casey Mize will begin to have his workload managed over the summer, which will substantially diminish his value. Uh, so I think for the time being, before that starts happening, but you know, once we get into like June and July, Casey Mize probably will not have much value in fantasy baseball. Christian Pache will be placed on the aisle with right hamstring tightness. Lance Lynn was hit by a comebacker on Thursday. He underwent x-rays on his hand slash forearm after, uh, after the game, and they came back negative. Paul DeYoung could require an IL stint as he's dealing with a rib contusion in his left side. Brendan Rogers began a rehab assignment with AAA Albuquerque on Thursday. He is 27% rostered. Scott, what league should you be rostering Brendan Rogers, stashing him right now? Because apparently we both have him in all our leagues, which, uh, yeah, how's that possible? Yeah, we both we both <laughs> tried to make that claim on Twitter, but um, obviously 12 team points leagues they're just too shallow for that Um, completely unproven as a major leaguer to begin with but I like the upside so the shallowest league I've I've had him rostered in all along is a 12 team roto league where 360 players are rostered and that's not even counting the guys on the IL so that's the shallowest league I have him in Uh, obviously and that's probably the shallowest league he deserves to be rostered and I, I would say any league where 350-ish players or more are rostered. That's where you should be taking a flyer on Rodgers, who has power. He talked about stealing a bunch of bases before he got hurt, and he has obviously Coors Field in his favor and just a top prospect pedigree. So not ready to give up on that with all those factors working in his favor. Yep, he could... Be a five-category contributor. He just needs to stay healthy. He was looking pretty good in spring, and we were getting lots of great reports on Brendan Rodgers. I also hope that the Rockies just play him every day because they are the Rockies, but yeah, that's, who knows? They have, they have new management now, or they're in the process of getting new management. So hopefully they play their youngsters a little bit more. Aaron Hicks didn't start on Thursday due to wrist soreness. Brandon Belt was scratched on Thursday with tightness in his left side. Nick Senzel left with a heel contusion, while Mike Moustakis left with an apparent injury. Let's get everyone a Zach Plesak update. He is out of the game. This game is in the ninth. Emmanuel Class A trying to work his way out of a jam. Yeah, really struggling with his command right now. But Plesak finishes the game. Eight innings, two hits, two runs, three walks, two strikeouts. So more walks than strikeouts. Didn't get a lot of whiffs in this game. But he's on a run right now. His last, I believe it's... Pull up however many start is, starts it is exactly. But. Well, this was the second straight eight innings. Yeah. Um, and uh, two starts. So three of his last four starts, seven or seven and two-thirds or more. Mm-hmm. And 
this was the first home run he allowed. He, the home run he allowed in this game was the first and three starts too. So his home run rate for the season is actually pretty good. He had that that bad two start stretch against the White Sox, uh, but he's his ground ball rate is so high this year. I don't know. He keeps he keeps changing who he is every year. He's apparently going for the ground ball specialist um, distinction this year, and it's working for now. Obviously, I want to. Obviously, I would prefer to have strikeouts. I wouldn't have drafted him if I thought he was going to be a six per nine strikeout guy, but he he is pitching as deep into games as I hoped is something he showed he could do last year. He's not walking many guys and he's limiting damage. And a ground ball pitcher can do that. A ground ball pitcher can do that, especially in an environment where offense is so such a high percentage of offense comes on home runs. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I feel pretty good as somebody who has a lot of investment in Plesak. Yeah, I feel pretty good. The ERA down to 3.56 for Zach Plesak. Meanwhile, the XFIP still stands at 4.15. Again, not getting a ton of strikeouts, but entering the start, he did have an 11.9% swinging strike rate, which is still better than league average. So perhaps we see the strikeouts come at some point for Plesak, but uh, I read an article recently after his last start where he is consciously making adjustments. He's kind of moved where he's standing on the rubber. He has this spike curveball, he's calling it, that he's worked with Shane Bieber to kind of learn and perfect. So he has four different pitches he can use basically at any point in any count. And I think it's working for him right now. So uh, Chris, is, is your confidence growing in Zach Plesak? I know you were kind of, you were the lowest of him coming into the season. No, I mean... I think he's a decent pitcher. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it was really good to see him go eight innings and only allow two earned runs, even if it was against the Mariners, but three walks, two strikeouts, hard to get excited about that. I think he's, I mean, he's like 45th and Savali is either 44th or 46th. I just kind of have those two guys right next to each other. Um, and I think they're good pitchers. I just don't think they're they're necessarily special. Fair enough. Let's get into the week eight pitcher and hitter planners presented by Line and Kugels, and we'll get it started, Scotty, with the two start pitchers heading into week eight. These are names that are rostered in 75% or less of CBS leagues. So who you got, Scott? Who are you looking at heading into week eight? Well, before I get into the highly available guys, there are some just kind of there there are a lot of of questionable ones, ones that people might be hesitant to start, even though they're making two starts, such as Jamison Tyone, who um, didn't make it five innings today after going a season high six and a third last time out, but he did have nine strikeouts, did have a lot of whiffs. I I, I still like the direction he's trending. I know his ERA is over five, uh, and, and his matchups at Texas versus the White Sox. I think I think you got to go with him. Charlie Morton's another one who started today. And something I pointed out earlier this week for Charlie Morton is that his home run, his home run to fly ball rate this year is about twice what it's been the past two years, even though the league wide home run to fly ball rate is down. So that in itself seemed like reason to hope for correction. Now he didn't allow any home runs in, in his start Thursday and, the results still weren't good, but there isn't a lot in the underlying numbers that's really a cause for concern. And his matchups are against the Mets and against the Pirates. So I would stick with him as well. Patrick Corbin is making two starts, but one of them's against the Orioles. So I think you go ahead and cross your fingers and, and, and trust that he's figured it out for the two-start week. But obviously those guys are widely rostered. Uh, some who might be available, Adbert Alzali again. I know I hyped him as a two-start sleeper last week, but I don't know exactly what happened. He looks like he's not going to get the two starts until next week. He's only 59% rostered. Washington and and the Cardinals are the two matchups. Nothing special about those. But I I just think Albert Alzali is being overlooked with that slider. Now his most featured pitch and a big swing and miss pitch. Um, They've been letting him go six innings more consistently recently. I think that's. I think it's a pretty easy call to start him in a two-start week. 
Uh, not super excited about any of the others. John Gray is right at 75%. He, he keeps doing well. His matchups this week at San Diego and versus Arizona. So one of them's a core start and the other's against a really good team. I don't know. In a points league, you probably have to roll with them. But uh, in categories league, I'd be a little scared. Casey Mize has been pretty good for six innings most of the time. They're talking about reducing his workload, but in the summer, that's still a month away if if we're being technical about when summer starts. So I don't know exactly what the plan is for when that starts. But at Seattle, at, at Kansas City, those are two good matchups. James Co- Caprillion, if you really want to, if you really want to gamble, he's only eight percent rostered. The matchups aren't very good, but there are two of them: Houston and uh, at the Angels. Yeah, that's about all I'd go with. Luis Castillo's making two starts, but we just talked about how you can't start him until he shows signs of turning around. I think even Chris was on board with that. The matchups are decent, Giants and Brewers, but but yeah, no, I, I can't go with that. I can't recommend Luis Castillo, even with the two starts. Chrissy Poo not feeling great, so he has to drop off for the rest of the podcast. So hope he's feeling all right, and we'll be back after the weekend is over, of course. Uh, Scott, some single start starting pitchers that you're looking at, some sleepers for next week. Single start ones, okay. So Robbie Ray still not quite to 80%, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to include him here. I don't know why the roster ship is going up so slowly for him. He looks dominant. He look, This looks like the best Robbie Ray we've ever seen, and that one we saw in 2017 made us all think he was an ace, so... Get on board with him against the Rays. That's a that's a fine matchup. Richella Baltimore, who we already mentioned. Uh, that matchup, good reason to run him out there right away after you pick him up. Those are by far the most exciting two. But if you need more, Andrew Heaney, if you wanna you wanna spin that wheel, <laughs> Andrew like Heaney versus Cleveland. It's a fine matchup. You know, if if he's doing the one start, he gives up three home runs. The next start, he gets ten strikeouts. He's he's in line for a, for one of the good ones this next time. If that's what you want to go off of. Matthew Boyd at Kansas City. He's technically below eighty percent, so I'm going to stick him in there. Good matchup. I don't trust him overall, though. Brady Singer versus the Tigers. There are actually a few interesting pitchers against the Tigers this week. In addition to Singer, there's Brad Keller. There's Chris Flexen. There's Logan Gilbert. Maybe. Maybe I, I I left him off my one uh, off my uh, ten sleeper pitchers list, uh, but I may revisit that before it actually gets published. Because you know, the underlying numbers look better than the result for Logan Gilbert today. I see you, Scott, with the Matthew Boyd love. All right, it took about six seven weeks, but you're coming listen, around a little bit. Listen, I have to find ten sleeper pitchers every ten guys you could potentially pick up off the waiver wire, and I even push it to eighty percent roster ship. <laughs> and Matthew Boyd, yes, he made he happened to make that list. Uh, you brought up Andrew Heaney in that mix as well. And speaking of Cleveland, we know it's been a solid matchup all season long, but specifically against left-handed pitching, they struggle even more against lefties than against righties. They are 26th in weighted on base average. So Andrew Heaney, we'll see if he can bounce back in his next one. Scott, let's move over to the hitter side of things. These are names that are rostered in 75% or less of CBS leagues. Who are some sleeper hitters for next week? Okay. So the team's who have, who have the best two matchups in my estimation are the Dodgers and Braves. So I got one from each leading off my list here. Austin Riley, who has looked much better in recent weeks. And then Gavin Lux, who has also looked much better in recent weeks. Really, his his May is, if you just do a split by month for Gavin Lux, compares April to his May, it looks like a different player. His strikeout rate's like half of what it was in April. And he's on a nice run. At the plate, and I, I think the Dodgers are facing six righties in their seven games too, so that's that even makes it easier to justify. So I like both of them. The Reds have good matchups again and a bunch of varieties again, so I'm going to recommend Tyler Naquin again. The Angels are one of two teams playing eight games. I believe these are the first eight-game weeks we've had this year. The Angels and Twins both are playing eight games. I don't... They happen to be facing a lot of tough pitchers in those eight games, so that's always a tricky one. Is this a good matchup or isn't it? Um, but I, I have Justin Upton on here for the Angels. I have David Fletcher on here for the Angels. I have Jorge Polanco, who's also been hitting well of late. I have him on there for the Twins. The Tigers, I think they're they're not in my top five best matchups for this week, but they didn't miss by much. 
So Jamer Candelario and, and Robbie Grossman, especially, he's been hot. Um, they're looking like pretty good plays this week. Yep, Robbie Grossman for sure is coming around. I like that Gavin Lux call quite a bit too. 54% rostered on CBS. And in April, he hit 179. In May, up to 316 for Gavin Lux, a 15% strikeout rate. So making a lot more contact. The five teams with the best hitter matchups, Scott talked about a few of them, but the Dodgers, the Braves, the Nationals, the Reds, and the Angels. The five teams with the worst hitter matchups, the Pirates, the Royals, the Rangers, the Brewers, and the A's. So there you have it. The Week 8 Pitcher and Hitter Planners presented by Line and Kugels. And at this point, you know, I give you an NYC weather update every single Friday. Why would I stop now? We've got some 70-degree weather this weekend, Scott. I'm so excited. Chris and I actually have wiffle ball planned. I hope he's going to be good enough to play. But <laughs> there's nothing that goes better with the sunshine and wiffle ball and baseball and softball, anything with a ball and a bat than an ice-cold Line and Kugel's Summer Shandy. It's this awesome blend of crisp beer with refreshing lemonade that fits perfectly when enjoying the weather. And with baseball, of course, and you know the Summer Shandy isn't all they offer. They also have a Session Hellas, which has all the flavor of a crisp German-style beer, but it's only 99 calories. And if you're into IPAs, Line and Kugels offers their Lemon Haze IPA, which is a well-balanced hazy IPA that blends hops with delicious lemonade. So no matter what type of beverage beverage you are craving, Line and Kugels has you covered. Just head on over to liney.com. That's L-E-I-N-I-E.com. Or follow Line and Kugels on Instagram or Facebook for more information about all of the delicious beers that they brew. We're going to take a quick break, but when we return, we're going to look at some waiver wire starting pitchers. What is going on with Charlie Morton? We spoke about him briefly. I want to get into it a little bit more. The rest of Thursday's action, of course, and we have some fantasy justice for all. We'll do it next on Fantasy Baseball Today. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. So we already spoke about Rich Hill Scott, and he is 22% rostered. We're pretty excited about him. Have to see that number double at least, maybe even triple. At least, yeah. Uh, how would he? How would you compare him to someone like Garrett Richards, who has been pitching very well recently in his own right, up against the Oakland A's on Thursday? Six shutout, five hits, three walks. Four strikeouts. He has a 2.16 ERA over his last four starts. 26 strikeouts to five walks during that span. He is 27% rostered. Rich Hill or Garrett Richards? I'd go Rich Hill. Better track record. And yeah, I know I know it's been four pretty good starts in a row for Richards, but the first two, the, the swinging strike jumped way up and he talked about me- making mechanical changes. The last two, it's just been eight swinging strikes in each. Ground ball rate's high, which is good to see in his prime. That was always a key to his success. But um, I'm, I'm just wondering if Richards is going to be more than fringy in this environment. And really, the Red Sox pitching staff as a whole, it's been weird what's been going on. Like, all of them have suddenly become single-digit swinging strikes guys. All, all the ones that we thought were good at one point, Eduardo Rodriguez... Nathan Avaldi and now Garrett Richards. All at once, it's happening to them. I probably just a coincidence, but like those are the three pitchers I think of when, like, who, who did you think was beginning to to look like a real breakout and and then has fallen back? Those are like the three of the first names that come to mind. Yeah, definitely Avaldi. I was excited about him early on in the season, and he slowed up a little bit. Swing strikes taking a back seat. I haven't read this anywhere, but. It could be a team philosophy thing, Scott, where they are consciously telling their pitchers to pitch more to contact. So, you know, maybe they can work more efficiently, save their bullpen and, and you know, get deeper into their starts. So uh, pure speculation, but 
could be what's going on there with the Boston Red Sox. Scott's taking Rich Hill over Garrett Richards. I would agree with that. Spencer Turnbull, not in the same category as these guys, but had a very good start on Thursday against the Royals. Six and a third, one earned run, one walk, seven strikeouts, 16 swinging strikes on 99 pitches. 10 of those came on the slider. Fastball velocity up almost a mile per hour in this one. 13% rostered. And it seems like he's in line for a pretty good matchup next week as well at Seattle. Maybe Jared Kelnick, you know, help, helps the lineup, and this isn't a great matchup anymore. But I think in a deeper league, Scott, I, I can kind of get behind Turnbull in that spot. Yeah, it's not a bad pick. Uh, he's had three starts this year where he's looked really good. I mean, this was the best one. This was the best one. His slider has been more effective for some reason this year. I'm not really sure why. Yeah, okay. It's not even the the success he had earlier wasn't as good as I remembered it. So. Yeah, this start just looks like a one-off for Spencer Turnbull. I'm not <laughs> as I as I started talking about him, I lost a lot of interest. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, it's been hello, 40 minutes into the podcast. We haven't talked about Sean Manaya, who probably could have been one of our oh my goodness gracious players if it wasn't for uh, Luis Castillo continuing to. I was going to say something I shouldn't have there. But anyway, Sean Manaya mm-hmm. at the Boston Red Sox. Two innings, 10 hits, seven earned runs, just like that. The ERA up to 4.40. The whip is at 1.28. I'm not going to completely back off Sean Manaya, Scott, because this is a really good lineup. It is a tougher park to pitch in for a left-handed pitcher. And there, like the underlying numbers for him, I still like that the velocity has been up and he hasn't really been walking anyone this year. So... The way that you kind of said it's a one-off for Turnbull, I'm, I'm kind of looking at that for, for Sean Manaya here. Yeah, every pitcher is entitled to just a really bad start every now and again. If, if you go through a whole season without a start like this, you're probably contending for the Cy Young. Right. And Manaya wasn't going to sustain an ERA. I think it was like 307 coming into this start. Now it's up to 440, like you mentioned, but the XFIP, even with... Even with the results of this outing, Manai's XFIP is 360, which is exactly what you'd expect for a mid-class pitcher like him. Yeah, I, I'm not I'm not backing off of him after this start either. Is there anything wrong with these three starting pitchers? We'll start with Charlie Morton up against the Blue Jays, four and two-thirds, seven hits, three earned, two walks, four strikeouts, but he only allowed four hit four hard hit balls. Seems like it was just another tough luck outing for him. He has failed to complete six innings in four straight starts. This is Charlie Morton we're talking about. The ERA is up to 5.08. And I found this quote in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm trying to learn from my mistakes, but I guess that's the silver lining, that my stuff is still there. There's a pitch mix element to it. There's a mechanical element to it. Just an overall approach. But I feel like there's no reason why I can't get those things squared away and go out there and do a good job for this team kind of a PR answer, but uh, Scott, is there anything in the underlying numbers? I, I still think Charlie Morton is one of the better by lows right now. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I talked about it when I was doing the uh, the, the planner for next week, um, that there isn't a lot in the underlying numbers that would raise alarm. I, again, the home run to fly ball rate is insanely high for him, especially given that it's down across the league. So that that's a good sign. Um, you know, it sounds like he has a pretty good read on the situation. This, I, I was certainly more concerned at the start of last year when his velocity was down before he went on the IL with a shoulder issue. And then he came back and the velocity was fine and and the numbers looked good from that point through the playoffs. Um, I was more concerned then than I am now. The velocity's been fine all year. I think he's going to be fine. All right, let's move on to Lance Lynn. I- It's hard to really complain about someone who just had nine strikeouts and 18 swinging strikes, but in three starts since returning from the IL, he has nine walks in 15 innings pitched. He has not gone more than five innings in any of those starts, which it just doesn't really sound very Lance Lynn-esque, Scott. Is is there anything here with him? No, I don't think so. I've been encouraged, actually, by how overpowering he's been coming back from a lat issue you know that's that sounds like such a serious thing obviously his was thought to be a minor issue 111 pitches you know obviously he's not going to come back out for another inning if he's thrown that many the previous short outings he'd thrown 90 and he had thrown 68 in the first one off the IL so obviously they were 
not wanting to push him too hard right away. So, I mean, you could look at this as, hey, look, they let him throw over 100 pitches. And normally, that's going to mean seven-plus innings for Len. Scott, last time Jamison Tyone was out, uh, went out there and pitched, we kind of talked about him as a as a, a player to buy. And he goes out against the Tampa Bay Rays, couldn't complete five, four and two-thirds, four earned runs. He did have 19 stri- uh, nine strikeouts. Not 19. 19 would be a little <laughs> aggressive. He had nine strikeouts, 17 uh, swinging strikes against a team that does swing and miss quite a bit. Uh, the ERA is up to 5.40 for Tyone. The XFIP remains 3.55. So I, I still kind of like the buy situation on him. I mean, just look at just look at his his uh, his rates. K per nine rate, 11.6. BB per nine, 2.2. Now, home run per nine is also 2.2, which is very high. But it it kind of, it's reminiscent of Charlie Morton. His home run to fly ball rate is is approaching 20. And um, that's that's not something that's going to last. It, oh, his Sierra, by the way, even prior to the start, it probably went down with today's start because he had so many strikeouts. His Sierra is 325. Even lower than the XFIP. Usually, those usually Sierra and XFIP are pretty close, but skill interactive ERA really likes what Tyone is doing, and I like what Tyone's doing. I think better better days are ahead. Let's take a look at three hitters, Scott, that are slowing down or off to weird starts. And uh, every time we come on here, it's it's hard to evaluate hitters right now, but but we're gonna try. Uh, Reese Hoskins in 16 games since his two home run game, he is batting 193. The strikeout rate is up, but uh, this is the best quality of contact in his career. Highest line drive rate since his rookie season. So are you worried about Reese Hoskins or how are you feeling? How are you feeling, Scott? Well, he was probably hot early on. He's probably cold now. He is pretty streaky. I just wish I just wish his plate discipline was more in line with where it normally is because, I mean, he was... Among the best walkers in baseball. And his walk rate is half of that this year. His strikeout rate is by far the worst it's been. That's not good. That's not good. It, it makes it beyond just what's happening with the environment, the entire what's happening across the league with, with uh, expectations changing for hitters and, and BABIP all the rules of Babbitt being broken and not really knowing what to, to make of any of it. Beyond that, I, I I don't really know what to make of Hoskins because his plate discipline is so off so far. Let's let's take a look under the hood here because I just pulled up his May splits and his walk rate for May is 12%. His strikeout rate for May, 24%. That was entering Thursday. I think he struck out two more times, so that, that's going to yeah. go up a little bit. But uh, those things have gone in the right direction in May. And that's good. Yeah, that's good. His, I mean, maybe it's not because he's stinking, but yeah, his ba- <laughs> I think it's good. His batted ball data is kind of weird because he, he's got a near 30% line drive rate, but he also has a 22% infield fly ball rate. So, yeah, uh, it's, it seems like he's just his batted ball data is just kind of in, inconsistent. It's like when he makes contact, he's hitting it pretty hard, but yeah, I, I want to say guy. he was a he's always been a pretty streaky hitter. Yeah. And, and um, coming off of a a, it wasn't a Tommy John surgery, but it was a procedure like that where he, you know, he had an elbow injury last year. I think it would be perfectly fine if he, he got off to a slow start, but he actually did the opposite. He got off to a, a hot start. And now, now he's kind of coming back down to earth a little bit. So, yeah. All right. Uh, Colton Wong, Scott, he is four for 34 over his last eight games. Uh, the batting average is down to 250. Would you drop Colton Wong for Gavin Lux, who we spoke about earlier? Uh, well, it depends how badly I needed steals, I guess, but that's, seems like, seems like a comparable move. If you just want to go after the hot hand, that's fine. All right. Uh, Mike Yastrzemski, we have basically not talked about him all year. He has five hits over his last four games, but he is batting just 227 this season. And I kind of look under the hood to see, you know, what was wrong with him. Strikeouts are up. Ground ball rate is up. Those are not great, especially for a left-handed batter. Uh, his OPS against lefties, 485. And uh, it's he's struggling pretty bad against breaking pitches. So uh, what is yeah. your... 
I know, I know we liked him, especially in a points league and, and OBP formats coming in. Uh, is yeah. he someone that you would be looking to buy, or, or are you actually kind of worried about this? No, I'm pretty worried about it. Okay. Uh, we liked him when it was a different world than it is now, which isn't to say he's toast. It's just, I, I could certainly see that being the outcome for him. Somebody, you know, even as good as he was in 2020 and 2019 to a lesser degree, he wasn't somebody who hit the ball especially hard. And, um, yeah, I, it, this, he just may not be well, as, he just not be as well suited for this ball. Um, and then the plate disciplines down in addition to that. <clears throat> I've dropped him in one league already, a shallower league, obviously. I, I don't really think there's much incentive to drop him in like a five outfielder league, but a three outfielder league, um, he's among a very large group of outfielders that I am just cycling through hoping that I land on somebody who'll stick. Mm-hmm. Weird start here for Mike Yastrzemski. Some Thursday leftovers. Scott, do you like leftovers? You big leftover guy? Oh, I'm I'm pretty happy with leftovers. Yeah, I mean, they're never it's never quite as good as the first time around, of course. But if you know, my enthusiasm for eating leftovers is basically um dependent on how much I enjoyed it the first time. Like if I was excited to eat it the first time, I'm excited to eat it the second time. I'm not somebody who turns my nose up to leftovers just out of principle. And there are some foods, oddly enough, that are better as leftovers than they are the first time you eat them, which oh, yeah? I don't really know how that... I'm, well, give I'm, me an example. I, you know, I knew you were going to say that, right? And <laughs> <laughs> so something like, I'm a big pasta guy. I eat a lot of pasta, Scott. I should probably be like double the size that I am. But something, anything with like pesto or vodka sauce, I feel like is better mm. the next day. That's I, interesting. It, it becomes like oily and it's, it sounds gross, but it's, it's actually really good. So You know what? Chili. Chili, I think, Chili's, just because the good. longer yeah. you leave it in the pot, yeah, it, the better it seems to get. So, yeah. you know, it, it, like festers and, and all the, the spice kind of. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about the words you're choosing to describe this. Probably wouldn't be my choice, but, oh, man. but yeah. Uh, anyway, Thursday leftovers. I'm just going to zoom through some things here, Scott. If there's anything you want to talk about, just just stop me. Uh, Marcus Semien, Bobachet, Teoscar Hernandez, and Bobachet each had two hits. Teoscar is now batting 360 with four home runs and a 13% strikeout rate in 13 games since returning from the IL. Zach Eflin had one of his worst starts of the season, which not really. He allowed five runs, but he had nine strikeouts, so... The ERA is 3.86. I think he's fine. Kyle Schwarber and Josh Bell both homered on Thursday. Andrew Benintendi had three more hits. He is now batting 375 in the month of May, and he has a career-high 26% line drive rate. Tommy Edmond, haven't talked about him much, but he's just kind of chugging along. He's been fine. He went one for four with two steals. He's batting 277 with seven steals on the season. Jack Flaherty against the Brewers. Six shutout, six strikeouts, 16 swinging strikes. Uh, the fastball velocity was down a little bit earlier on in the season. He is averaging just over 94 miles per hour in three May starts. So I think Jack Flaherty's back on track. Corbin Burns made his return against the Cardinals. Five innings, one run, one walk, nine strikeouts. He set the MLB record with 58 strikeouts to open the season without a walk. Uh, he only threw 78 pitches, but it's his first start back. And he pretty much looked like Corbin Bur- Burns. The velocity was down a tad, so... We'll, uh, we'll follow that. Since I talked smack about Max Kepler last week, he has three home runs in six games, so thank you, Max Kepler. Anthony <laughs> DeScalfani at the Pirates, five shutout, one hit, one walk, five strikeouts. They only let him throw 76 pitches, which is kind of weird, but he's still been really good. Uh, Hunter Renfro had two more hits. He's betting 306 in the month of May. He is 22% rostered, I think. In some deeper five outfielder leagues, you can snag Hunter Renfro. Gary Sanchez now has four hits over his last four games, including two home runs. I am just grasping at any straws possible, Scott. I, I need Gary Sanchez to come around. I have him in way too many leagues. Why Why did I do this? So there you go. Uh, Christian Javier was fine. Seven innings, three runs. And I'm not going to tell you about Josh Fuentes because why? Uh, bullpen updates. For the Atlanta Braves, Will Smith entered the ninth in a tie game. He promptly allowed four runs on five hits. For the Blue Jays, Jordan Romano was on the other side. He struck out the side with a four-run lead. The Tigers, Gregory Soto, entered the ninth with a four-to-one lead. He allowed two runs and was removed for who? Michael Fulmer, who converted the save. It was Soto's third straight day pitching. 
Fulmer is 11% rostered. He was used in the eighth inning on Wednesday night. He might be the next man up, Scott. Are you looking to add Michael Fulmer in any deeper category leagues? Yeah, maybe like some of those 15-teamers. I just, like the Tigers get save chances so infrequently that it may be a long time before we find out whether Fulmer has staying power. And I'm I'm guessing it's, I'm guessing Soto's still the lead guy there. Uh, He had been worked a lot recently. I just, I I have a hard time believing Fulmer's going to get confined to that ninth inning role. Remember, Brian Garcia got a couple saves early in the season, but... It's very clear from the usage that Soto is the leverage guy, like the only guy AJ Hinch has, uh, only guy he wants in those leverage situations, and they're usually coming at the end of games. Whenever, whenever the Tigers do have a lead, which is not very often. For the Cardinals, Alex Reyes picked up his 11th save. Liam Hendricks got his seventh for the White Sox. Uh, Taylor Rogers entered the game down one run. He allowed. One run on two hits. He has now allowed a run in three of his last four appearances. Tyler Rogers picked up his third save for the Giants with Jake McGee working back-to-back days. So wouldn't read too much into that, but Rogers is very clearly the next man up. And the last one of the night was Emmanuel Class A, who was coming in to close out that game for Zach Plesak. He recorded the first two outs, and then he walked the bases loaded and was removed for Brian Shaw picked up his first save so class a, a little bit. yeah i don't know i don't know i don't know james james karen jack has been the, Amazing. the indians best reliever this year yeah y'all laughed at me no I, he has been i don't no, I, I mean class class a still has a 106 era so exactly, i don't think he's yeah. lost the job but i think they but just, yeah just, just worth pointing out please please has been better they love karen jack in that role right it's just they Put him up against the toughest part of the lineup, and he's really gotten the co- the co- control down this year. So he looks great. Yeah, it's just uh, they're they're rocking with it the way it is for now. To stream or not to stream for the weekend, we'll start with Friday. Tyler Anderson versus the Giants. Actually, I think he got pushed back. I don't think he's pitching on Friday anymore. I saw someone else is pitching for the Pirates. Forget about Tyler Anderson. Griffin Canning at the Red Sox. Jake Arrieta at the Tigers. David Peterson at the Rays. Drew Smiley at the Brewers. And Adrian Hauser versus the Braves. My favorites here would be... Uh, let's say Hauser versus the Braves. David Peterson at Tampa. And Canning at Boston. Doesn't feel great. Tyler Anderson is scheduled to start on Saturday now. Miguel Yahure is expected to be recalled and start Friday's game against the Giants at PNC Park. He was one of the pitchers they received in the Jamison Tyone trade from the Yankees. On Saturday, to stream or not to stream, Shane McClanahan versus the Mets, Cole Irvin at the Twins, Trevor Williams versus the Tigers, Johnny Cueto at the Pirates, Dane Dunning at the Astros, Luis Garcia versus the Rangers, Tristan McKenzie at the Mariners. Luis Garcia against the Rangers feels fine. I, in theory, I like Johnny Cueto at the Pirates. I wish he wasn't so bad his first time off the IL, but I'll still pick him here. And probably... Oh, do I want to do Cole Irvin? I don't really believe in Cole Irvin. He's just been on such a run lately. I don't like the spot either at Minnesota. Yeah. But it's either him or McKenzie. And I know McKenzie was decent last time out, but he's just... I'll pick Irvin as my third. All right. On Sunday, to stream or not stream, Jordan Montgomery at the Orioles, JT Brubaker versus the Giants, Brady Singer at the White Sox, uh, Eric Fetty at the Diamondbacks, Ryan Weathers versus the Cardinals, and Kwang Hyun Kim at the Padres. Montgomery at Baltimore is an easy one. Singer at White Sox, that's okay. Brubaker versus the Giants. You know what? I think I actually like Brubaker over Singer. Yeah. Montgomery, then Brew Baker, then Singer. Those Sunday ones are not bad. The Brubes. I really like what I've seen from Brew Baker this year. Some fantasy justice. I like to wrap up the week with. We've, we have to serve some justice around here, Scott. So let's do it. This first one's from Jerome. Three weeks ago, Team A traded Gary Sanchez and Aaron Judge to Team B. 
for Wilson Contreras, Randall Grichuk, who was immediately dropped, and Cabrian Hayes. So why didn't they just do it for Wilson Contreras and Cabrian Hayes? Then a few days later, Team A traded Wilson Contreras back to Team B for Nick Solak. Two weeks after that, Team A also traded Cabrian Hayes back to Team B for Sean Manaya. So in the end, the trade boils down to Aaron Judge for Sean Manaya and, well, and, and Gary Sanchez, right? So it would be Gary Sanchez and Aaron Judge for Sean Manaya and Nick Solak. We don't have vetoes in our league, but if, uh, what do you, what do you think? Well, this is more of like a, you know, I didn't even read it, Scott. I just kind of threw it on here. This is more of like a grade the trade question. Anyway, I don't know. I, I think vetoes should not be a thing in fantasy sports unless it is like super, super egregious. Uh, it's kind of weird that it's like going back and forth with the same teams over and over again. I don't know. What do you think, Scott? Yeah, I, I get, I get the suspicion. But, like, none of the trades look bad on an individual level, and the final result doesn't look bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I I think I'd much rather have the just Aaron Judge by himself, but... I mean, maybe these two are really close, and they <laughs> talk about fantasy baseball. They talk about fantasy baseball a lot, and they just keep working out trades. I mean, I, I don't... Yeah, I, I don't think there's necessarily something shady going on just because you can come up with that explanation in your mind, you know, that I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think you're right to have your alarm raised by this, but I, I don't think anything has actually, n- nothing really looks wrong about it other than the fact that it's the same two guys. I, I've done trades before. I've had, I've, acquired players from a person and then traded them back to that person in the same season before. Not in such close succession usually, but <laughs> but yeah. I don't think I've ever done that. It's I've definitely done it. I've done it more than once. Wow, interesting. Well, I mean, you've probably been playing fantasy more than longer than I've been alive, Scott. No, not that long, but, but close. <laughs> <laughs> this next one's from Ryan. Hey, guys, need a little help figuring out if this is a bad move by our commissioner. I've been in a 10-team head-to-head dynasty points league for four years now, and the commissioner has been the same since the start of the league. With our COVID season last year, we realized that teams with more pitchers on their roster ended up winning more games. This prompted a few guys to ask for a vote in our league for a weekly start limit. The final vote ended with seven managers saying no start limit, including the commissioner, and three managers saying yes. Before the season this year, our commissioner made some trades to make his hitters better and is now opening the same vote from last year about a start limit. He is now voting yes for the start limit to be enforced next year. Multiple managers traded players to acquire more pitching due to the vote saying there would be no start limit. Is this a problem? What should managers do about this? No, it doesn't seem like a problem. Because the people who traded for more pitchers could still vote no. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it, I think, it doesn't... I, I mean, it is it is kind of poor form by a commissioner. And we, we spoke about that last week where if you're the commissioner, I mean, you you, you should try to do what's just what's well, right and of it's course. you know when you you make all those moves and clearly like you're trading for hitters and then you're the only reason you would bring up the vote again is because you want it to be reversed and eh, that, that does seem kind of safe uh, kind of shady i guess i don't know it, it doesn't really bother me that much if if because people change their minds all the time you know yeah like, I, I don't know that the first vote necessarily has to determine it forevermore uh, I guess it's a little weird. It's bring, being brought up again so soon, but it, you know, it lost seven to three last time. So, in theory, it should lose six to four this time, and it'll probably be fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, Scott, if you if you had a rule set up in in your Scott White Dynasty League, and then you made a bunch of moves that would benefit a new rule or or some kind of change of a rule, and then you mm-hmm. just kind of brought it up, I'd be like, I don't know, Scott, I don't like that. I don't like that. But you haven't done it yet, so I'll <laughs> I'll continue to trust you for now. Okay. For now, Scott. All right, we're going to wrap there. If you have a question, a fantasy league justice, this used to be the regulators back in the day, but we can no longer play their music. So if you have uh, something going on in your league, a little fishy with your commissioner or some other league managers, feel free to email us in and put fantasy justice in 
the subject line. For Scott, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening. Oh, wait, I didn't play it again. Fantasy justice has been served, I think. For Scott, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching <laughs> Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again on Monday. Bye-bye. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on fantasy baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework.